0: John chapter 17, John the 17th chapter, and without a lot of um, review from this morning I just want to jump back in here, and if you were not here this morning I encourage you to, um, to get a hold of the, a copy of that message, um, you can access it through the church website hccnow.org or we can get you an audio copy or podcast, there's lots of ways to access that. I I have to watch myself because every word that God has ever spoken is extremely important. And so anytime you start saying, well, this word's more important than that word, you know, you you need to be careful in what you're saying. Somebody said the most important message that could ever be preached is is the message of salvation. And that's true unless you've already heard and responded to that message. If you're a born-again man, but don't know anything about healing, then for you, you know, maybe you need to hear some of the word concerning healing, or some of the word concerning deliverance, or you you follow what I'm saying. So, um, to say that one part of the word of God is more important than another is is uh, you have to be careful saying that. But with all that said. I believe that the 17th chapter of the book of John is one of the most significant chapters in all the Bible. And I say that for a few reasons. Number one, John 17 is a culmination of things that Jesus taught on throughout His time here on earth. And we see that our current subject, the subject of our oneness with God and growing in our understanding of our oneness with God. Jesus spoke of that in chapter 5, chapter 10, chapter 14, and then just went off the chain about it in John chapter 17, which I believe, again, is one of the most important doctrines teaching systems of teaching systems of truth that isn't is in all the word of god in other words we've been born again and baptized in the holy spirit to facilitate the heart of our father to have oneness with us as we said this morning we we have a tendency to only look at salvation from our perspective and our understanding of how it benefits us without ever considering father's perspective on it and, and what his heart and desire behind the whole um, salvation effort, redemption of mankind you know, effort was all about. The other reason I say John chapter 17 is one of the most significant chapters in all the word of God is because we know Jesus was a man of much prayer. The Bible said he would rise you know, long before daylight and go and pray and pray all night, and, and um, even when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, you know, he only prayed a very brief prayer there, but in that prayer, you know, he certainly implied that he and his father already had a long conversation about it, and he said the only reason, you know, I'm saying anything at all is for the benefit of those listening. In other words, he, he and his father, he had already prayed about it, in other words, but we don't, we don't have access to any of Jesus's personal prayers or what those prayers were or what they sounded like. Um, I mean, obviously like when he's praying publicly for someone to be healed, that sort of thing. But the 17th chapter of John is for the most part Jesus praying to his Father. And it was recorded through the Apostle John by the Holy Spirit. Now, we also see again, why this chapter is so significant is because Jesus, first of all, prayed for Himself. So if you've ever wondered if it was okay for you to pray for yourself, the answer is absolutely, Jesus did it. After He prayed for Himself, He prayed for those who were the closest to Him. He prayed for His disciples. And then He prayed for you and me. And the part where we see him praying for you and me is the part where he says, I now pray for all of those who will believe because of this first group going and preaching the gospel. And that's you and me. But then also we see that in this prayer to his Father, for himself, for his disciples, for you and me, all of that is amplified, if you will, when you understand the moment. And the moment is, they're about to come and get Him. Jesus is about to be tried, He's about to be beaten, um, nailed to a cross, and die. So, when we speak in terms of like, last words, last wishes, and, and I know I'm speaking to you now as a man. I know Jesus was, was you know, not in some panicked, frenzied state. Everything here was, was scripted by His Father, and He was following that script. But still, given the moment of this, the, the setting of this, this prayer, I believe it gives us one of the purest glimpses into not just Jesus's heart for us but father's heart for us through Jesus and what father was really longing to see accomplished by Jesus going to the cross and so with that said we're we're gonna spend a little time here in the 17th chapter I don't know if we're gonna cover every verse and we're gonna refer back to some of the things that Jesus initially said in John 5, John 10, John 14, that all culminated here, you know, providing underpinning, if you will, for what we see the full revelation of in John 17. Let me give you an example. In the earlier chapters, he introduced the concept when he said, I and my father are one. Okay, Um, so, and again, the disciples, I mean, not the disciples, the religious leaders tried to kill him for saying it. But notice, by the time we get into chapter 17, chapter 14, he challenges his disciples to believe that it was because he was in the Father and the Father was in him, that was how he was able to do the works that he did the miracles that He did. And He challenged them to not just believe that He was the Son of God because they witnessed those miracles, but to believe on a deeper level that He was in His Father and His Father was in Him. Why is that? Because Jesus goes on to say, if you believe in Me, the works that I do, you will do also, and even greater works. Hinting at what He says in no uncertain terms in the 17th chapter and that is the ultimate plan here is to make us one with jesus and by us being made one with jesus because jesus is one with father that will make us one with the father as well amen amen all right so i'm just trying to orient you a little bit here this evening let's um let's begin at verse number one john chapter 17 verse 1 jesus spoke these words lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. You have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, there's some very significant, uh, very important Um, things that Jesus said in verse 1 we're going to come back and and pick those up when we get down into verse number 9 but let me just mention if I could now the insight this gives us into the inner life of the Trinity Jesus is asking to be glorified by God the Father so that he can better glorify God the Father it's not about Jesus having attention drawn to him it's about Jesus being put in a position by the Father to best glorify the Father because Jesus exists to glorify the Father and the Father exists to glorify Jesus they they are submitted to one another in that way they revolve around one another in that way this is insight into God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit remember God the Father sent Jesus to the earth And Jesus says, I only do what my Father tells me to do. I only say what my Father tells me to say. Jesus then asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to the earth. And the Holy Spirit does not talk about Himself, but He only talks about Jesus. The Father is glorified by the Son. Amen. Well, later we're going to see that... Through our being made one with Jesus, we are now brought into this equation because we glorify the Son. We glorify the Son, the Son glorifies the Father. The Father glorifies the Son so that the Son can better glorify the Father. But part of the Son being glorified is being glorified in you and me. So when Jesus is glorified in you and me, this gives glory to Jesus. And when when glory is given to Jesus, Jesus' glory is glorification of the Father. So again, I'm trying to show you how we're brought into this. Before we existed, this is how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit uh, operated. So in order for us to be made one with Him, Amen, He's talking about us being brought into this system of giving glory and being glorified. Being glorified so that we can better give glory to the One who's glorifying us. Are you seeing this? Now, I can understand if you think this is some kind of heresy, some kind of blasphemy, but if you read John chapter 17, Jesus clearly says, Father, the glory you've given me, I now give to the Father. He now gives to you and me. Why did Father give Jesus glory? He gave Jesus glory so that he could use that glory to glorify the Father. Why is Jesus giving that glory now to you and me? So that we can use that glory to glorify Jesus, which further glorifying Jesus will further glorify God. Amen. We'll come back to that. There's a lot more to be said about that. Now, the part that we focused on this morning, and I just want to mention it briefly before we move further into this tonight. And if you'll notice one piece of this, in order to understand one part of this, you need to understand another part. And then in order to understand that other part, you need to understand this piece. And so we're we're packing it. We're unpacking it rather. We're building it. And and so, amen. Because of that, we're going to deliberately review some things. So he says, Father, you've given him, and the Son is Jesus is speaking of himself, what, the third person here. He says, Father, you gave me authority over all flesh. That He, God the Father, should give, you have given Him, the Son, authority over all flesh, so that He, the Son, should give eternal life to as many as you, Father, have given Him. Are you following that? So He clarifies in verse 3 what eternal life is. Eternal life is not what a lot of people think eternal life is. I mean, you say, well, it's living forever, Pastor Mark. What, What else is there to know? A whole lot more to know because you're talking about the, the fruit of eternal life existing forever. Here he's talking about the, what produces eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you. That word, know there, means to have personal fellowship with. So eternal life, the eternal life that Jesus came to give us is experienced and realized Through personal fellowship with God. Through personal fellowship with the only true God. And through personal fellowship with Jesus Christ, whom the only true God has sent. Okay? So if you've been born again tonight, you have received eternal life. And eternal life, by definition, according to the One who gave it to you, Jesus the Son, eternal life is... Having personal fellowship with God the Father, the only true God, and personal fellowship with Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. Now, this is where we left off this morning. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 1 it says this that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life now john the beloved the apostle john is writing this inspired by the holy spirit of course but he's talking about personal experience here he traveled with jesus he spent time on the road with jesus he spent time in a boat with jesus he he spent time sleeping under the stars with jesus he he, he, he rubs shoulders with Jesus. Are you, are you following what I'm talking about here? So when he says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, Jesus was from the beginning. Jesus was, Jesus was present when the worlds were created. But John says, I've heard Him. I've seen Him with my eyes. I've looked upon Him. My hands have touched Him. Concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life. So remember though, eternal life is personal fellowship with God the Father and with His Son. And so what John, Beloved is, John the Beloved is saying here is by declaring eternal life, what did Jesus say was eternal life? Eternal life was fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Son. So when He says we're declaring to you that eternal life that Jesus brought and revealed... That is exactly what he's talking about. That eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Okay, so again, was with, that's past tense. Are you with me? He's talking about something that that previously existed only... With, within the Godhead that previously existed, it was with the Father. In other words, this, this fellowship that Jesus enjoyed and experienced with God the Father, and of course the Holy Spirit was, was a part of that as well, this was something that was only um, within the Trinity itself. But when Jesus came to the earth, He revealed to us what personal fellowship with the Father not only looks like, But what personal fellowship with the Father will produce in and through a person's life? That's what Jesus was revealing to us. He was revealing to us what life in union with God actually looks like. What's What a human being on planet earth living in personal fellowship with God the Father, He's revealing that to us. Now listen, it would be enough, it would be a beautiful thing for Jesus to just come and show us what the Trinity was like. To show us the kind of love that He has for His Father and the kind of love that His Father has for Him. That in and of itself would have been an an eternity-shaping revelation. Except for Jesus didn't just come to show us what it was like. He came to both show us what it was like and then invite us into and become a part of it. I'm not sure you're hearing me tonight. Thank you, Father, for helping us. Praise God. So anytime you see that word declare, it's... um, When when we into the country, and we had to pass through customs. They wanted, they wanted to know um, what, if anything, we had to declare. And they were not talking about us giving them a report on the missions trip, right? They wanted to know what we were bringing back into the country. What might be in our suitcase that they need to know about. What's hidden That needs to be revealed, that needs to be unpacked, that needs to be shown, that needs to be accounted for, right? So this is what he's saying, we're we're declaring to you that eternal life. What is eternal life according to Jesus? Personal fellowship with the Father and with his Son. So he says, we're declaring to you that eternal life, that personal fellowship with the Father and with the Son, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now, when, when John is using us here, he's, you know, like when they you talk about like writing letters and don't begin with, with the word I. And so he's speaking in plural pronouns, but the us here, it, didn't, it wasn't John only, but John's giving a personal testimony of what he witnessed. It was declared, it was manifested to all the disciples. It was manifested to others besides John, and John is including them in this. But he's also talking about what he personally experienced and witnessed that he is now giving revelation to. Verse 3 That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That you also, why is he declaring it? Why 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 is he wanting other folks to know about this? So that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with. So do you see now when you take that word know, personal fellowship, to know eternal life is to know the Father and the Son and and you look at what that word know means in that context k-n-o-w it means to have personal fellowship with Do you see now when you bring that over into first John this this passage and he talks about eternal life eternal life according to Jesus is knowing having personal fellowship with God the Father and his son do you see he says and truly in other words the hearers in John's day would have known what the word "no" means. They would have known that he was talking about personal fellowship. I think, um, I'm looking around, I think we're all adults in here, okay. When the angel came to Mary and said, um, you're going to give birth to the Son of God, and she said, how can this be, seeing that I know not a man? That didn't mean she had never been introduced to um, a male person, uh, 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 someone of the male gender. It was literally saying she had never had sexual relations with a man. In other words, this word no, are you following what I'm saying here? in this this particular instance, it's not just talking about personal fellowship, it's talking about intimate union. I know not a man, meaning she had never had intimate union with a man. So, we need this clarification on what it means to, or what Jesus meant when he said, this is eternal life, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ, the Son whom He has sent. He's not just talking about knowing about. He's not just talking about, yeah, I I know Him. Are you you understand what I'm saying here? I went to introduce two brothers before church, and they already knew each other. Okay? So we can know about something. In other words, there's different levels, degrees of knowing. This word again, knowing, is the personal fellowship. So when John is saying this, those, the people in his day using the language that he used, they knew that he meant personal fellowship. That's why in, at the end of verse 3 he says, and truly our fellowship, truly our knowing is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's do this. Let's go back to John chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, John chapter 17, verse 1, and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify Your Son, that Your Son may glorify You. As You have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. As you have given Him authority over all flesh. We need to understand what that means. Because the Father gave Jesus authority over all flesh, this uniquely qualifies Jesus to be able to give eternal life to as many as the Father has given Him. Okay? As we said this morning, there's a whole lot of giving going on here, right? So the Father gave Jesus authority over all flesh to accomplish what purpose? I'll tell you what it means in just a moment, but let's get the purpose down first. The Father gave Jesus authority over all flesh. Do you understand what he means by all flesh? That's referring to every human being that has ever lived or ever will live. Jesus was given authority over all flesh, and He was given that by His Father in Heaven. Okay, I'm coming in there with you, all right? I'm kind of at a crossroads here, and I'm just waiting on the Holy Spirit for a moment, all right? Let's, let's nail something down right quick, okay? The Bible says in John, amen, somewhere in my notes, I'm not going to try to fish it out. Toward the end of John chapter 3, a group... Of John the Baptist disciples come to John the Baptist and say, You remember that dude from the from the Jordan River that you baptized, speaking of Jesus? I put dude in there. They didn't say dude. They said, Everybody's going to him now. You know, there used to be people lined up for us to baptize them. Our lines have gotten smaller and his lines are getting bigger. And this is what John says. He says, A man can receive nothing unless it's given to him by God. Okay? Paul asked the Corinthian church, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, maybe around chapter 4. Just stay with me, don't. Amen. He says, What do you have? that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? In other words, what do you have that you were not given? What's being revealed here? What's being revealed here is a principle. Nobody ever has anything that's not given to them. And so when God the Son emptied himself of everything that made him God and came to this earth as a human being, he subjected himself to uh, well, I mean, he subjected himself to the spiritual laws that he and his father established. And now God the Father is going to use those spiritual laws. For his benefit and for our benefit are you with me so God the Father is in heaven who created all flesh God the Father creates not a trick question God the Father created all flesh are you going with me we're going somewhere now are you going with me all right God the Father created all flesh so he has jurisdictional rule over all flesh because He created it and ultimately it belongs to Him. Okay? Except for all of humanity was separated from Him and trapped in a created physical world with no way to break out of that physical world to reconnect with God who is a Spirit. So Jesus came from heaven to this earth as a man. As a God man are you hearing me as someone who was one with his father me and my father are one he said it this way a little further down in John chapter 17 he said father everything that's yours is mine and everything that's mine is yours see when you start getting your mind renewed to oneness this is when you start realizing that everything that's his is mine and everything that's mine is his That's oneness. It's one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible pertaining to oneness. So notice now, notice now what God the Father is able to do to the God-man Jesus. He gives Jesus, who is now in human form, He gives Jesus authority over all flesh. Does that mean all flesh is born again? No. But it means Jesus is now in a unique position to represent all of humanity, all humankind that have ever lived in the past and all humankind that will ever be born in the future. Jesus was given authority over not some flesh, not Jewish flesh, not uh, rich flesh or poor flesh, over all flesh. All flesh. Okay? Now, this is really, really, really important. Let me get ahead of myself and I'm going to come back, okay? Because what's ultimately going on here is Jesus has come up in the middle of us to find him a bride. Jesus has come up in the middle of us to find him a body. Jesus has come up in the middle of all the multitudes who will ever live on planet earth seeing who will receive him and who will become one with him and become one with the Father. So Father gave Him authority over all flesh. Notice now, He gave that to Jesus as a man. Okay, yes. Jesus is about to become a bridge. We could not go straight to the Father. We had to go through the Son to the Father. Am I right about this? We couldn't just up one day and decide, well, you know, I guess I'm going to be born again today. If Jesus had never come to this earth, even if we figured out that we had to be born a second time, we would have been powerless to be born a second time. Are you following what I'm saying? In other words, we, I know sometimes we take these things for granted because the grace of God that, that brings salvation has appeared again to all men, to all flesh. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay, so Jesus is about to come become a bridge so that we can now be reunited to the Father through him, through him he 's about to fix you up, right? You ever had a friend fix you up when you was in school, you know what I 'm saying? man, you may fix you up with her, right. In other words, somebody knows somebody you want to have a date with, you don 't know them, you don 't know the phone number. So you get somebody to fix. I'm being silly, but that's that's in essence what Jesus did for us on an epic, eternal scale. He took God the Father by one hand, me and you by the other. Remember what he said, remember what he said towards the end of his earthly ministry. He said, up until this time, you have asked the Father nothing. Everything you've heard, everything you've received from the Father, you've received it because the Father gave it to me and I gave it to you. You asked me and I asked Him and then told you what He said. That's all about to change. Because after I go to the cross, you're going to be one with me and I'm going to make you one with Him and you can go straight to Him now in my name. Right? Are you seeing this? So he was given authority over all flesh which put him in a unique position to be the substitutionary representative. Big words like mayonnaise. It just simply means that whatever he did as a man could count for any man who believed upon him. What he did in the flesh... God the Father was going to give credit for any other person in the flesh who believed upon Jesus and received for themselves what Jesus came to do for them. Authority over all flesh put Jesus in a unique position. Similar to the position the very first Adam had in the Garden of Eden. As a matter of fact, He's identified, Jesus is identified later as the last Adam. Amen? All right. Praise God. I'm almost out of time. Are you good? you get anything out of this? Let's let's build this for a moment, okay? Thank you, Jesus. All right, so... All right, Let, let me just show you again a few verses as to what it means for Jesus to be given authority over all flesh 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all then all died okay Did Jesus die for all? So as our substitutionary representative given authority over all flesh by God the Father, the Creator of all flesh, He gave authority over all flesh to Jesus as a man in the flesh. Which means now that whatever Jesus does, as the substitutionary representative in the flesh whatever he does in the flesh he does for all who will ever exist in the flesh okay so that's why when jesus died for all all died verse 17 therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I don't have the rest of it, but it says that God was reconciling the world. The next verse says reconciling the world to Himself through Jesus Christ. Verse 21, I'm not sure I left out that other verse, but verse 21 goes on to say, For He made Him, God the Father, made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ. In Christ means one with Christ. So notice, He became our sin. He became our substitute. What did He do with our sin when He became our sin? He took the punishment for it. He took the consequences. What's the consequences of sin? Death. Death, hell, and the grave. Jesus went into death, hell, and the grave. But because personally, He never sinned, the devil had nothing on Him to hold Him. And therefore, He was raised up from the dead. But Romans 6 says, I don't have that one either, but Romans 6 says that when Jesus was raised up as our substitutionary representative, we were raised up together with him. How about this one? 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin and if anyone sins we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the whole world couple more second Corinthians 8 uh, chapter 8 verse 9 for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich by his stripes you were healed 1 peter 2:24 one more galatians chapter 3 verse 13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is he saying? Christ became the curse for us So that the blessing of Abraham might now be upon you and me, our substitutionary representative. Now, thank you, Jesus. Are you with me so far? I mean, I know it's an hour later than we're normally used to. I see some of you kind of getting a little tired. I'm not trying to just push this thing on past the limit tonight. I felt compelled a few times to say this, and so let me close right here, okay? Just curious if if anybody in here has experienced the truth of God making a difference in your life. Amen. You know, one of those moments where you you know, the Lord shows you something, reveals something to you, and it's like, you know, where have I been my whole life? You know, how, how did I live this many years and not know this? What, you know, and it, it, that truth begins to work inside of you. Yes? Okay. <clears throat> it's more than just hearing something that you didn't know and kind of having one of those wow moments. It's more than just hearing something you've never heard and having one of those, man, that's cool, moments, right? We're talking about something that, because the Word of God is living and powerful, we're talking about something that begins to work on the inside of you. The Word of God is like antivirus software in a computer. You put that antivirus software in that computer and that software goes into the inner workings of that computer and it'll identify things that are not right in the inner workings of that computer. And not only will it find what's broken, not only will it find what's corrupted, not only will it find what's not processing uh, as it should, it will identify that and then correct or remove it. That's what the Word of God does in our lives. It's life to those that find it and health to all your flesh. It goes all the way down penetrating to the marrow in your bones and is able to discern not only why you do not only what you do but why you do what you do a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Am I the only one that has persisted in negative behavior and not known why? Word of God has the power, the truth of God has the power to identify, reveal, not just where you're wrong, but why you keep doing things that you shouldn't do any longer and don't want to do any longer but can't figure out the answer to. Alright, now, why, why did we shift gears in talking about this? Because what, what we are digging into tonight is truth on a rarefied level We've identified over the last few weeks that some truth is stronger than other truths. And the stronger the truth, the greater the impact it has upon our lives. Am I right about that? I'm I'm trying to encourage you tonight to stay the course on this teaching. Let's get this truth inside of us, living and powerful and active. And um, I think it was C.S. Lewis. I wish I had the quote because it's a beautiful quote. But it basically was his response to um, the Word of God in his day, just like it is in our day. People were questioning it. People were attacking it. People were saying it was no longer relevant. It was, it was you know, all this stuff. And, and then, so, so pastors began and, and Bible professors began to write all kinds of op-ed pieces in defense of the Bible. Defending the Bible. Defending the Bible. And C.S. Lewis pointed out that Jesus is the Lion from a tribe of Judah, and He is the Word made flesh, and that there's no need to try and defend a Lion if you will just simply release the Lion, if you will simply let the Lion out of its cage, the Lion is well equipped to defend itself. What, what, what am I trying to tell you tonight? Let's let this truth out of its cage and let's let it loose inside of our hearts and let's just see what it can do inside of us. Insecurity cannot remain in the life and heart, mind and thinking of someone who is convinced they are one with the Almighty God. Fear has no place when you understand the love that he has for you and the place that you hold in his heart. Can't, it, it can. We sang about it before I got up here. No longer a slave to fear. A lot of people singing at the top of their lungs and tormented by fear almost 24 hours a day. We got to know who we are. Amen? Stand with me. Praise God. Are you getting anything out of this? amen father thank you for this time together this evening thank you for lord the effort that's that's represented here tonight you reward those who diligently seek you father may we release the lion of this truth in our lives the lion from a tribe of judah he breaks every chain every chain every stronghold Every mental block, every mental deficiency, every emotional abnormality, and any root cause of it. Father, I thank you tonight for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, that we may lay hold of this this truth, not let it slip from our grasp, not let it be stolen from us. Not let it be choked out by other things. But Father, may the seed of this truth produce 30, 60, and 100-fold results in our lives to the glory of our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody. in Jesus, thank you.